It's been nearly four decades since the state set up community-based mental health housing to serve more than 40,000 New Yorkers. And the nonprofits providing this housing say it's past time to update this model to better reflect the needs of this vulnerable population. For more on the issue, including legislation directing a state task force to reevaluate housing for New Yorkers with mental illness, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Sabrina Barrett, Executive Director of the Association for Community Living, which represents agencies providing housing and supports to people with persistent mental illness. Welcome to the show, Sabrina. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. It's our pleasure. We're also joined on the line by John Paduano, Chief Operating Officer of Rehabilitation Support Services, which addresses the needs of New Yorkers with psychiatric and substance abuse disorders. Thanks for joining us, John. Thanks, David. Thank you. So for starters, what are the different types of community-based health housing that exists in New York? And what are the range of needs that this type of housing is tasked with addressing? So David, there are um, various different housing models in New York. Um, We divide them between licensed and unlicensed housing. And it's on a spectrum that is supposed to meet the residents' needs where they are at the time. So it can range from 24-7 care congregate setting to a more independent setting in an apartment building. And Sabrina, in a letter that you wrote to the governor, which echoes sentiments espoused by the state legislature, you argued that the current uh, community-based housing model is outdated. Why is that? So these models were created several decades ago, and the clients that existed at that time were only taking a couple medicines. Today, most of our clients take 14 to 15 medicines a day. And also they've grown older over time, like we all do um, as human beings. And so today we have more than 40% of the residents who live in this housing who are age 55 and older. A third of them are age 65 and older. And they have numerous medical challenges, the most prevalent being diabetes, cancer, COPD, heart disease, dementia, all the things that come with residents growing older. And our programs simply do not have the resources in staffing and other supports to help meet those residents and help them address their medical conditions. Well, yeah, John, can you elaborate on the challenges of providing these services uh, on a day-to-day basis? I think, you know, as Sabrina mentioned, that when we um, everything started 40 years ago, it was a much different group of individuals we were serving. And as far as medical concerns went, we maybe had one or two people in the house that had diabetes, and that was it. Now you can go into one of our community residences, and over 50% will not only have one medical conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, COPD, but they will have another one on top of that. So it is not uncommon for our individuals to have COPD, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, and some other issues going on. And the problem is, is this has happened. The staffing pattern has not changed in these residences in over 40 years. So we still have no nurse to assist with any of these medical issues. And in addition, we really, on most of the shifts, only have one person that's on at a time. So if somebody needs a lot of help, say they need um, monitoring of their diabetes, or we have to monitor their blood pressure, it takes away from time we can spend with other individuals. So the amount of medical needs are huge in these programs compared to where they were 40 years ago when the program and staffing model was developed. 
do you think the model as it exists now leads to unsafe conditions? I wouldn't say it leads to unsafe conditions. I think it leads to conditions that are not optimal for the individual's recovery. What it does is it leads to more emergency room visits than you might normally have if we had a nurse on staff who could evaluate how somebody was doing. Instead of having that, we have to send them to the emergency room. So I think it really puts obstacles, more obstacles in people's recovery than anything. And going to the emergency room when you really just need a nurse to evaluate, is that high blood pressure low or too high? Or is the um, diabetes sugar monitoring, you know, what does that number really mean? It makes it very difficult for staff with really just a, a high school education to make some of those decisions. And then in turn, they are left with really no other option than like sending people to emergency rooms. And that's, you know, it, it presents an obstacle to people in their recovery. Well, Sabrina, the legislature passed a, a bill for the second time now authorizing a, a task force to examine this model. What would you hope that the task force would focus their attention on? Are there specific issues that you think are ripe for reform? Yeah, we surveyed our members and um, about 75% of them said they don't currently have the resources they need to care for these individuals. And we know that there's really no other place for these folks to go. Nursing homes aren't able, and in many cases will not, take individuals with mental illness. So we really need a task force to consider what resources, what enhancements do we need to make to these decades old models that will allow these residents to receive the care that they need in their home? So we need mm -hmm. nursing staff. Our staffing ratios are too low. We need more staff on hand at any given time. We need to make residences ADA compliant for our residents that have mobility issues. Not every residence, especially some of the older buildings, provide the mobility that these residents need. We need funding for transportation to help these residents get to their routine medical appointments. So these are the kinds of things that we hope a task force made up of individuals, not just with mental health expertise, but individuals with expertise in aging and in healthcare, everybody coming together, all of the stakeholders to look at how we can enhance these really antiquated models to meet the residents that live there today. And I think it, it's really important that, you know, what we really want to do is we want to allow our individuals to age in place. And we currently don't have the resources to do that. So what we're really asking for the task force to do is to take a real look at this about what do we need to allow our individuals to age in place, to keep them out of nursing homes, to keep them out of hospitals, to keep them in an environment that they want to be in and that is most conducive to their recovery. Our main thoughts is that people should be allowed to age in place in their home because they see this as their home. Well, hearing Sabrina list off the laundry list of issues that they're hoping a task force will examine, it sounds like you guys have ideas on the changes that are necessary. So from your perspective, is a task force mostly just about coming up with recommendations that you really already know, but then giving you some sort of argument to take to the legislature and the governor to fund these different points? That's part of it, David. So it's not a one size fits all fix. You know, we have residents in rural areas. Those needs are different from residents who live in more urban areas like New York City. So I think it would be important for this group to evaluate 
the needs all throughout New York, um, which could could differ. And then also it's a matter of bringing experts together who will come up with these solutions. And um, maybe they have, there's resources out there that, that we're not aware of. I, again, it's not a one size fits all. And I, I think we just need to attack these challenges from multiple areas. And so bringing a group to co coalesce together around some brainstorming and some thought um, would be helpful. And we understand that funding is needed for these solutions. Um, we, ACL, presented the state with some ideas several years ago. And, um, you know, nothing, that those ideas haven't come to fruition. And so we, we know that funding is an issue, but as John stated, these residents are being cycled in and out of emergency rooms and, and hospital visits, which is also very expensive. So we believe that we could come up with some solutions that although they might cost some dollars, they're really going to save money in the long run. Well, in terms of say the upfront additional costs that you're looking for, how much are we potentially talking about here? Is this millions with an M? Are we thinking billions with a B? What does the number look like? I, I don't believe it would be billions with a B. Um, you know, the Office of Mental Health will be rolling out under the new budget, some new housing models. Um, one of which is meant to be a short term transition model. And I believe, uh, you know, what they're looking at for that type of staffing would include some of the professionals that we believe are necessary for those who are aging in place. And so it's not like there's not a, a plan to create some beds with the staffing and resources and supports that we're talking about. So I think if they were to look at some of what's coming about in this new budget and just apply some of those same parameters to the beds that we're talking about, these existing beds, I think we would get there. I mean, it would definitely be millions of dollars. If you just think about um, if we have an individual at a house and their sugar levels spike and we don't have a nurse there to kind of help the staff person figure out what's going on and we have to send them to an ER, the ambulance ride alone is almost $800. Just walking in the door of an ER is $1,000. And then on top of that, whatever tests they have to do, can run another couple thousand dollars. And if they decide that the person needs to be admitted, then there's you know another couple thousand dollars. So it adds up quite quickly how much uh, we could save if we had just had a nurse in the residence that said, geez, this sugar level is high because let's do this and watch it for the next hour and see if it comes down. If it comes down, we're fine. But we don't have that. We don't even have access to that type of expertise to do that. So people end up spending a lot more on medical care than really needs to be spent. And I would say it would clearly be in the millions of dollars. Well, finally, if the state did make additional investments, say, in staffing for these community-based homes, is there any reason to believe that the personnel is out there to fill these jobs? And are you guys having is tough times filling existing staffing jobs? We absolutely are. We, we are not immune to the staffing shortage situation that really everyone is facing. We've been surveying our members every six months, and we know that there's a 25% staff vacancy rate. We need to be able to pay the staffing we currently have more. Um, our folks 
can make more money working at McDonald's or Target or Starbucks than they can working our very challenging but rewarding jobs in, in housing. So part of the solution needs to be more dollars for uh, recruitment and retention. But, you know, that's not an excuse to not address the problem. These residents need help now. It really can't wait. And um, I think if, you know, the state puts in the investment that we're asking for, then let's then tackle the situation, the challenge of finding the staff to fill those positions. If the state funds us adequately to be able to pay a nurse, um, there is an advantage to working in our programs. We do have nurses that inquire about working in our programs because they're tired of the hospital grind. They're tired of uh, having to work 16 hours a day. They're tired of having to work overnight shifts. Um, but they don't come to us because, you know, A, we have no way to pay them now. But even if we did, our, our salary levels would be much lower than what they can make in a hospital. So we need adequate pay to compare to what they can make in a hospital. And I think we would be able to find uh, plenty of nurses to come work for us. Well, we've been speaking with Sabrina Barrett, Executive Director of the Association for Community Living, and John Paduano, Chief Operating Officer of Rehabilitation Support Services. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, David. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.